0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. So a couple couple weeks ago, we talked about Kurt Warner, right? Kurt Warner was the guy that like popped out of nowhere. He was... Um, He's kind of the elijah figure in in a modern context well in in this instance it was it's kind of interesting he He got picked up by the Rams in ninety eight he became the starter in ninety nine won the Super Bowl was the m v p of the league two years later he's the Le- mVP of the league again went to the Super Bowl, but lost to Brady and Belichick, which I mean everybody does that, so it's not really a big deal um but then he gets he gets let go in in basically the summer of 2004 by the Rams. They're like, man, this guy's washed up. He's no good. After being like this miraculous story. And so these people had this thought of him that, you know, I think we've got the answer here. We don't need you anymore. And so they, they kind of kicked him off to the, to, the, to the Giants. And Eli Manning had just been drafted that year. And if you know anything about football, um, the last name Manning is generally good for talent indication. Okay. So like, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and their dad, and I'm not going to guess right now because I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. Is it Archie? Hey, I actually got it right. Uh, so he got drafted that year, and, and in that year, Warner started the first seven games, first seven games. He won five of them, but then went on a two-game losing streak, and so they pulled him out, and Eli Manning has been the starter ever since. Uh, and he didn't re-sign with them that year, and then he got taken over to the Arizona Cardinals, where again, he was starting, or he was a backup to another rookie. Each, each season, it seemed like he made it into the starting lineup. And then each season, it seemed like the coach was like, nope, this is the year where we've got our, our recently drafted guy. He's going to take care of it. And they had this idea that, that Warner was n- no good anymore. Well, Warner made it back to a Super Bowl. He, he made it to a third Super Bowl, lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, which was an unfortunate thing. I was very upset. Um, but, Kurt Warner then, a couple years later, it was like his last year in the league, he ended up doing a, in a playoff game, and he threw 29 complete passes out of his 33 attempted through five touchdowns. It, he threw more touchdowns than incompletions that game. And yesterday, he was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. The guy that was always given up on is now in the Hall of Fame, and each time these organizations maybe thought they that it was we're good by ourselves and we're we 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 know what's going on. The Rams had Mark Bulger, which most people, unless they were really big football fans at the time, don't remember. Um, Eli Manning was good, but uh, Matt Leinert was not. So. Uh, but these time, each of these teams were like, we were so sure that we've got what we need right here. I don't need anybody else. And that somebody else was Warner. Now, last week we saw Elijah. And he was in a moment of weakness. Like, Jezebel tries to kill him. And then he runs away. And then God sustains him. He gives him rest. He gives him food. And he, and he revitalizes his life, right? And so he does this. But then he travels 40 days and 40 nights. And this is where chapter 9, or in verse 9 picks up. It says, There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Have you noticed that Elijah can only control that first portion of the statement? He's like, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. That's the only thing he can control. He can't control whether people are killing prophets. He can't control whether they're trying to kill him. But he can control that I am serving the Lord God Almighty. I think it's interesting to note that our actions, or or the actions of others, whether for good or evil, provide no excuse for our behavior. We are in control of ourselves. Elijah is is like, people are actively trying to kill Elijah, actively. When was the last time somebody actively tried to kill you? Probably not many of us, some of us who maybe have military service, but probably not many of us, okay? But that's that's Elijah's reality. That's his reality, is that someone is literally trying to kill him. But he can control that he's going to serve the Lord God Almighty. He can control that. So, So we see in verse 11, God's reply, he says, "'Go out and stand before me on the mountain,' the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came, or after the wind, there was, a, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake." And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's interesting, like, we're like, okay, God's not in, like, this big boisterous things, but he's in the silent whisper. But it's interesting, the fire was literally a way that God communicated, like, two chapters before this. Fire came down from heaven, and he proved who he was from that action. And there have been other instances where they had used natural occurrences like these winds or the earthquakes or the fires, to actually communicate something from God. So, the, so this idea that maybe God doesn't speak in these grand gestures isn't, isn't quite the case. He can speak in them, but he also speaks in this gentle whisper. But I think there's, there's a, a little bit of difference between the two, right? I think what you can see in the, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire is that You can see the signs of who God is. But you have to know him to recognize his voice. Elijah knew what his signs looked like. So did Ahab, and so did Jezebel, and so did the entire country of Israel. They knew what God's signs looked like. It looked like drought initially, then it looked like rain, then it looked like fire coming down from heaven. But did they know who he was? Would they recognize his voice? I can recognize Hannah's voice anywhere. Right? I know what Hannah's voice sounds like. It's the first thing I hear in the morning. It's the last thing I hear before I go to bed. I know what her voice sounds like. Now, someone that I haven't been around as often, I'm probably not going to recognize. I'm probably not going to hear that. I might know of what they've done, I might know who they are, but maybe I don't recognize their voice when they speak. It's important that we cultivate this this practice of learning what God's voice sounds like. And it takes something that is a little bit awkward in our modern culture, listening. Right? We have this this idea where we're like, our prayers are... Our verbal communication to God. But if, if prayer is a communication, it's a back and forth, a conversation, we are probably most, the aspect of that communication that's probably most absent is probably the listening part. How many of you know with your spouse, if you only talked and never listened, things would not go well? I know things would not go well. Or if you have friends, I know, I know and some people have friends in the room that are like, the, when you go and you have coffee with them, it's just like the whole time. And then right as you're about to leave, they're like, so how's your life going? You know, you know, you get this, <laughs> this opposite thing. It's really funny, but we, we got to learn to hear his voice. And learning to hear his voice looks an awful lot like listening. It looks an awful lot like seeing what he's doing. I think there, we, we notice something else from Elijah in this thing. He has, a, he has a reverence for God. He covers his face in that cloak. We saw in the Old Testament that God's glory was too, too much for a human to see. And so he covers his face with the cloak, and then he goes out to speak with God. And I'm not saying that when you're praying you should, like, wrap your head with, a, like, a, A jacket or something. That's like that's not like you don't need to wrap your face in a blanket to pray. But it reverence should look like something to you. Reverence should look like um, maybe in your life, closing yourself off and going, This is my time and it is not going to be interrupted. Maybe it looks like hitting the do not disturb button on your phone and leaving it on the kitchen counter and then going into your room and and praying. What does reverence look like to you? In, the, in some instances, we see in the scripture where their posture is, is a, an idea of reference, whether it's kneeling or laying on the ground, that submitting ourselves before God. But reverence should look like something to us. We should be reverent. And there's, there's this uh, interesting thing that happened at FamFest. Um, most of you were at FamFest, at least a, a decent amount of you were at FamFest. And at FamFest, Uh, the Cervantes showed up to FamFest to help set up. Everyone but Aaron. I'm not throwing you under the bus here. Just wait for the end of the story. I'm actually honoring you here, so just wait for the end of the story, everybody. That did sound funny. I didn't think about that. But but everyone from the Cervantes family but Aaron walked in, and they're like, how can we help? But Marissa says to me, Aaron's going to be here in a little bit. When he comes home from work, he does his devotions. He has his time with God, and we don't interrupt it. That's something that's his, and it's guarded. And that challenged me, that there's one thing that it's guarded, and I will not shake from it. And I could not be more thrilled for you in that moment, because Aaron was like, I guard my time with God, period, period. There is no exception. And his family knew it. If your habits aren't good enough for your family to know, it might be a challenge for it to say it's a habit. Hannah could probably say every habit that I have. But that's so important that we be like Aaron in our reverence for God. That he comes first and he comes at the same time and he comes before everything else. We'll carry on in verse 14. He replied again with the same answer this time. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Mahala, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Sometimes we think we're the only option. Sometimes we think just like the rams that we've got what we need. Sometimes we think, just like the Giants, we've got exactly what we need. Sometimes, just like the Arizona Cardinals, we think Matt Leinart is better than Kurt Warner. And it's the next best thing. But it's important to note that this answer to Elijah's prayer is with other people. He says he's alone. Well, then, when he says he's alone... He says, I'm calling these people to go alongside you. I'm calling these people to change the hearts of Israel. I'm calling these people to make this new. And Elijah is to call each of these people into his plan, into God's plan. And each of these kings have a vital role. I think this is a transition in Elijah's life, too, because he's no longer going Um, To be the one, the only one calling people to righteousness. We see these two kings and they're going to bring the change that's needed. And just to give you a little bit of insight into what happens with, I'll specifically talk about Jehu. But Jehu, in 2 Kings chapter 11, Jehu's going to defeat Baal once and for all. Once he is king, he does this in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 25. He says, Then Jehu's men went into the innermost fortress of the temple of Baal. They dragged out the sacred pillar used in the worship of Baal and burned it. They smashed the sacred pillar and wrecked the temple of Baal, converting it into a public toilet as it remains to this day. What is God saying about the quality of worship for Baal. He's saying something very specific that it's worthless. That when we worship things that aren't God, that aren't Jesus, we are worshiping worthless things that will decay. Jehu does all of this. And you can see the exploits of Jehu, because he 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 even creates this, this coup of Ahab and Jezebel. They're done. They're gone. But because of this act that Jehu performs, he 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 effectively before that he actually they kill all the prophets of Baal. So they're gone. Every last one of them. And because of this action, God speaks to him and says, For four generations, your family is going to be a dynasty because of this act of righteousness. Because of this act of righteousness, four generations will sit on the throne. And not all of them were good. But God made a promise to Jehu because of this righteous act, because he heard what was happening. But I think most importantly, the most important thing in this area is that we see that he, he tells Elijah to call Elisha. He tells him to call Elisha. And so in verse 19 it says this, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that Elijah does after hearing the voice of God that says to do something, he does it. It's a crazy idea. He obeys God when he speaks. His natural response to the speaking of God is to follow his instruction. He does exactly what the scriptures say. I think if we can master this discipline, we will grow closer and closer and closer to God. If when we hear him speak, if we first learn to listen, but then when we hear him speak, that the first thing we do when he speaks is we do what he says, we are going to grow deeper and quicker into who God is. We'll continue in verse 19. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Anybody ever done that to you? Stranger walks up to you, throws a jacket on your back, and then just walks away? That'd just be weird. It's Just weird. Especially in our culture, because there's no like, precedent for this kind of behavior. In the Bible, though, when Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha's shoulders, it's saying something. It's calling him. It's calling him to that same ministry. If someone walks up to me and gives me a jacket, I'm just going to say, thank you. But it means nothing else, most likely. But in this instance, Elijah is literally calling Elisha to his life. So Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replies, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elijah returns to his oxen and slaughters them. He used the wood from the plow to to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Isn't that interesting? His like natural response is like, let me say goodbye to my parents. I'm going to go kill the oxen, make a roast. We're going to have a party and then I'm good. We're going to go with you. That's awesome, right? I think there's, there's a couple of things about it that are really, really cool. And the first one is Elijah is destroying his, his status quo. He's destroying what he can go back to. He's destroying it. He's getting rid of it. He's removing it from his life. And it's important to note that it isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like an oxen and a plow aren't bad. They're not bad things. They're actually used for productivity and hard work and good things. But sometimes in our life we have to leave behind bad things, but sometimes in our life we need to leave behind good things Instead, for what God actually has better for us. Elisha would never be the prophet that he becomes if he stays and he plows those fields with those oxen. He'd never be that. He would never climb to who God has called him to be. He would never pursue Elijah with such tenacity, and we'll see that next week, that he won't be left behind. He goes after God, and in return, he becomes everything that God has called him to be. I also love his natural response here. His natural response is like, one, I'm going to get rid of the status quo. I'm not going to stay where I'm at. But then two, I'm going to throw a party, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Throwing parties to celebrate what God has done in our life is absolutely a good thing. When was the last time you threw a party for something awesome that God did in your life? When was the last time you celebrated the act of God? When was that? We can throw a party because God is just good. Because God has just done good things in our life. This, this celebration is always good. Always celebrating the Lord. And sometimes that looks like corporate worship here, right? Some, sometimes it looks like in this building. But sometimes it looks like getting some ribeyes, throwing it on the grill, and having your friends over and celebrating what God has done in your life. Or brats or whatever, you know, kind of meat you prefer in that, in that setup. But celebrate who God is in your life. Celebrate what he's done for you. Celebrate all those good things. I think it's important as we, as we kind of wind down, but we, that we remember that we first have to learn to listen and hear God's voice. If we can't hear Him, we can't do what He says. And I, I know a lot of times that looks, that's kind of an abstract thought. Like there's this unseen God that we, that we are supposed to listen to that doesn't generally speak audibly, which seems like a hard concept to grasp. But What we can see is in the Bible, he is speaking to us throughout it. It's this giant letter of all these stories of the good things that God has done and the acts that he he has provided and the, the grace and the salvation that he's brought to us. And so we can always see who God is from the scriptures. We can always hear his voice by the things he's literally already said. But then, two, I think it's important that we have an active prayer life, that we take time and we bring our praise, our requests, our concerns to God. As we see that in Elijah here, he is concerned that he's the only one. But when he brings that concern to God, what does God do? He answers him, he brings in people into his life that are going to shape the future of Israel. Not just in a spiritual way, but in a practical way. So we need to pray because if we don't converse with God, it's very, it's very unlikely that, we aren't, that we're going to hear him. But then add on that, when he speaks, act. When he speaks, act. It's so important that we act when God speaks. And sometimes that looks like calling us to a new place. Sometimes that looks like calling us to a greater act of service. Sometimes it looks like um, God just calling us to Himself. Like if, if you've never experienced salvation, if you've never, and, and what I mean by that is just declaring that your life is going to follow God, that your life is as we see in the New Testament that Jesus is what we call the Messiah, the Christ. He comes to earth to forgive us of our sins, and he sacrifices himself for us. If you're not, if you've never had that experience, if you've never done that, maybe God's calling you to that today. And Ed and Sherry are going to be available for prayer, and they can talk you through what that looks like. It's just simply declaring your life is going to follow after Jesus. The one that offers grace and forgiveness. What is God speaking to you today? What is God asking you to do? And as the band comes up, pray with me for a moment and ask God to reveal himself to you. God, I just pray that this morning you would reveal yourself to us. That you would make yourself known here. God, we know that you worked in Elijah's life, in Elisha's life, in Jehu's life. We know you've worked in the life of the disciples and in, and in Jesus and um, God, we know that you've done those things. but God, work in our lives. Make yourself known in our lives this morning. God, for anybody that doesn't know you, that hasn't committed themselves to you, not to the idea of you, but to you, and to following after you, committing themselves to live holy lives following you. God, I just pray that you would make yourself known. God, for each of us that aren't listening, God, would you just give us better ears to hear, better listening skills? God, I pray that you would speak so powerfully this week in our lives. God, for every person in the room, that would you just speak into their life today and throughout this week? God, thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. You're a God that works in us, and you're the God that calls us. Thank you for all those things. In your name we pray. Amen.